Welcome to the Last Week Now podcast. We're your hosts, Lucas, Justin, and John. This episode, we're going to be unpacking the latest business, world, and sports news. To start, I'm going to turn it over to John, who's going to give us the latest business and economics news from the past two weeks. Thank you, Lucas. Some of the major economics news, there hasn't really been a lot, but one of the main stories has been Wayfair's third layoff since the summer of 2022. In this layoff, Wayfair is cutting 13% of its global workforce in a restructuring effort to trim down its structure, remove layers of management, and reduce costs. Speaking of reducing costs, this move is going to save Wayfair around an estimated $280 million dollars. And Wayfair's CEO, Niraj Shah, mentioned that the changes are a return to core principles on resource allocation. And despite challenges in revenue growth due to category weakness, the company remains encouraged by share gains. Lucas, you want to talk a little bit more about this? These Wayfair layoffs are not related to the fourth quarter performance, but they're more of a new move from the company to align it with its core structure. And with these layoffs, it's, they're going to be cutting about 1,600 employees from around the world. So it's not just like focused on specific areas of their of their corporate team, but it's really just global network. It's going to be about 19% of their entire corporate team worldwide that they're cutting off. And this is not a new trend we've been seeing. We've been seeing this in all over the all over this industry with other retailers such as like Hasbro, Etsy and Macy's who are also announcing workforce cuts recently because of less and less demand probably because of online shopping conglomerates such as like Walmart and Amazon there's also a lot of economic uncertainty especially since coming right out of the pandemic and Wayfair does attribute this these cutoffs to the pandemic because they did experience significant growth while new while consumers were spending more on home goods but with the waning impact of the virus the home's goods sector is now facing a big pullback in demand which really just means there's so much staff that isn't really a need there isn't really a need for anymore at these companies such as wafer john is there anything else you want to add on before we move on no, not really, Lucas. I think you covered it pretty well. Our next story in the business and economics news is Saudi Arabia recently has almost doubled their estimate of the value of their mineral resources. What this looks like is originally they had estimated the value of their mineral resources and their untapped reserves at 1.3 trillion US dollars in 2016. However, just now they have recently updated this estimate to be 2.5 trillion US dollars. So the Future Minerals Forum in Riyadh saw a lucrative deal signed with $20 billion US dollars in deals announced by the Saudi government. So this increase in mineral estimates is attributed to recent reforms in laws and business practices, including a revamped investment law and extensive geological survey programs. Justin, do you wanna talk a little bit more about how the uh, minister, what he did? The minister highlighted that the combination of new findings, especially in rare earth metals, along with additional deposits of known resources such as phosphate, gold, copper, zinc, etc. Additionally, the Arabian Nubian Shield covering the West Arabian Peninsula and Northeast Africa is a key of exploration as figures are based on only 30% of exploration. It has developed 33 new exploration sites for mining and plans to award more than 30 mining exploration licenses for foreign investors in the year 2024. Next, these efforts are part 
part of Saudi Arabia's vision for their 2030 program. This program aims to diversify the economy, attract foreign investment, and create more jobs in Saudi Arabia, with mining considered as the third industrial pillar of the nation. The mining minister of Saudi Arabia expressed optimism about meeting Vision 2030 goals, emphasizing the progress in policies, enablers, infrastructure, budgeting, and financing. Obviously, Saudi Arabia has, is one of the most economically stable countries in the world, so these goals will likely be met in the future, as well as obviously these new initiatives through mining will definitely help. In the new mineral exploration incentive program, with a budget of over $182 million, is introduced to further support the acceleration of this 2030 project. Next, uh, before before we move on to world news, do you have anything to add, Lucas or John? No, I think you covered it pretty well, Justin. I think we can move on. Our first news story of the week is the uh, coldest weather in years, which went to record low temperatures, wipes throughout the U.S., so obviously, I guess everyone saw in the news throughout the Midwest, parts of the Northwest, parts of the East Coast, record levels of snow. Obviously, during that Bills game, a lot of people saw in the news where they were paying people to shovel out the stadium. That's how bad the snow was in upstate New York. To connect these record low temperatures and the snowfall to our second news story, which is the Iowa primary this past week. So in Iowa, there was a record level of snowfall, around eight inches of snow or eight to nine inches, with heavy, with heavy sheets of ice the day of the primary, it was very difficult for candidates to get people out. And the expected number of voters decreased by almost 50% due to the snowstorm. So that led to a lot of candidates purchasing buses and vans and shuttling people to the polls. Obviously, that happens on normal election day. This is much more severe because no one was driving that day. And it was, a lot of candidates were shocked that it wasn't postponed, actually. Obviously, the four... Um, major uh, candidates to, to watch during this primary was Trump DeSantis, Nikki Haley, and Vivek Ramaswamy. Or Vivek Ramaswamy. Following the the Iowa primary, Trump led with around 41%, then DeSantis 21, Nikki Haley with 19, and then Vivek Ramaswamy with around 7.7%. Following the primary, around an hour or two after the votes were all counted, Vivek Ramaswamy dropped out of the race. And he publicly endorsed Donald Trump. Asa Hutchinson, who was a front runner or um, a long shot for president, he also dropped out. And then Vivek Ramaswamy is obviously the first candidate to drop out and endorse Donald Trump, as well as Tim Scott, who dropped out a few months ago, now endorses Donald Trump. Trump won with a whopping 40%, beating out rivals quite easily. And then this Tuesday, also it's important to note that the Iowa primary is only for the GOP. Independent candidates such as RFK or Democratic candidates were not on the ballot. So this Tuesday is the New Hampshire primary, and that's going to be very big for both Republicans, Democrats, and Independents. Starting off with the Republicans, New Hampshire is a very large independent state. A lot of independent voters will choose to cast their ballots for the GOP, meaning since independent candidates tend to normally lean towards Haley or DeSantis for the GOP, they will likely have a large showing. And polls are showing that Trump is not doing well in New Hampshire. Secondly, for the Democrats, there's a new candidate. His name is Dean Phillips. He's a representative from Minnesota's third district, the Democratic candidate. And the New Hampshire primary is the first Democratic primary. And somehow, he's emerged with 38% of the votes. Some polls are showing around 45%. But he should challenge Joe Biden in the Democratic primaries. And then obviously, if RFK will be on the independent ballots, and RFK is looking like a pretty big candidate for president, and what's the mo obviously the most likely race or president will be Trump, Biden, and then you have RFK, who will be the largest independent candidate in our history, or at least in the past 75, 80 years. 
and RFK will likely take away a lot of votes from Donald Trump, as polls are suggesting. So that's it with the primaries. And next to move on to other news, Alec Baldwin, the uh, famous actor, was indicted for involuntarily for involuntary manslaughter following the shooting on the Rust movie set. So it was, it was around two years ago where Alec Baldwin was filming this Rust movie. It was an old Western movie. And Baldwin was shooting a fake gun, or what he thought to be was a fake gun. And then it was loaded with something. And then it happened to fire and kill one of the sound directors. So following that, the prop, the people that ran the props on the movie set, they were investigated and such. And then I, I believe they were charged. And then Baldwin this week was found guilty for involuntarily manslaughter. That does come with uh, time you could potentially serve. I was looking at looking like Baldwin won't serve any time for that. And then finally, NATO has said they are preparing for war with Russia. And that obviously is because they are launching around 90,000 troops and training them, which is their biggest operation ever since the Cold War, at least. So they're mobilizing those as Russian threats just continue to grow. Obviously, Russian, Russia has been bombing parts of Ukraine. Last year, there was an oil rig that they were shooting down. Just a lot going on with NATO. So hopefully that will resolve soon. So that's it with world news. So do you want to move on to tech now, starting with, I believe, Lucas? We're going to talk a little bit about, obviously, last episode we talked about CES, we thought was going to happen. Today, we're going to tell you what did happen. So you want to start us off, Lucas? Thank you, Justin. So yes, last week we talked a lot about what we expect to see from CES, which is the annual consumer electronics show in Vegas. Happens usually the first week of every year. And yeah, we got a ton of stuff announced. And I feel like this might be a hot take, but I feel like CES has been more underwhelming in recent years, just because the really big companies that actually have the tech that we're probably going to be seeing more more frequently and like more quickly, they're not announcing their stuff at these events. Like Samsung always has an event, usually right following the week after CES, which is what we'll talk about after where they announce their new phones. Apple announces all their stuff usually in June, iPhones in September, but most of the actual important tech stuff that we're going to see more on the day-to-day -day of our lives aren't even announced or talked about at CES, which I feel like is one of the reasons why CES is slowly, even though it is growing for sure, ever since the, the pandemic really, because there wasn't, I'm pretty sure they had it like an online kind of thing during the pandemic, but in my opinion, it's been getting a little underwhelming in the recent years, but there is still some super cool gadgets, super cool prototypes, some futuristic things to look out for. So that leads right into the first thing we're going to be talking about today, Hyundai's new EVTOL aircraft by Supernal. And this is basically going to be, it's representing Hyundai's future into urban air mobility. It's really, it, it it's, their attempts or prototype at a vehicle with electric vertical takeoff and landing capabilities. So this is essentially a helicopter that has more propellers, of course, it's electric, and it's really aimed to almost be like an air taxi. And they're right now targeting a commercial launch in 2028. And this is really going to revolutionize short distance urban travel. So some examples of this that we already see is Blade is most popular in New York City for the routes between Manhattan and like JFK and Newark. But this is Hyundai's new aircraft here 
is really aimed to conquer those kind of short routes around a city. Next up, Rabbit, which is this new kind of AI device tech company. You're seeing a lot of these. We've talked about the Humane AI pin. That was also an AI company that was new. But Rabbit is this new company. They announced something called the Rabbit R1 Virtual Assistant. It's basically this compact portable AI assistant with that allows for hands-free app control. It's designed to be separate from your smartphone. So this thing will have its own like cellular plan if you really want it to. And it's going to allow users to perform tasks, really just everyday tasks in a very simple and easy to use way. And it's voice powered. It has a camera as a screen. It's just, it's this very tiny sleek device. Probably it's about the size of your smartphone. I think it's a little shorter, but yeah, it seems really cool. It starts at 199 and so far they've already sold. They, I remember seeing the CEOs on Twitter about this, how they sold out their first batch of 10,000 units in just a few hours. And I think they're already on their like fifth or sixth stage of production and they're already back ordered till July. So these things are very, it was a big, big win from CES for sure. And for this company. Next up, John, do you want to talk about some EV announcements we saw during CES? Yeah, Lucas, I'd love to. On top of Honda's Zero Series EVs bringing a sleek, lightweight design to the market, we also saw VIN VF Wild Electric Pickup Truck, which will feature an extendable bed, which is really interesting. And then we've also seen how Google Maps introduced real-time battery tracking for EVs, which is going to be useful for basically anybody who drives an EV if you like to use Google Maps. And then, yeah, these so these innovations just all around really signal a growing trend in electric mobility solutions. And this is pretty big news because we're seeing a lot of companies kind of transition into electric vehicles being the way of the future and pushing towards eventually, I predict, eventually we're going to only really see electric vehicles, at least mainly. Next up, we have a Samsung and Google collaboration. This unites Google's nearby share with Samsung's QuickShare. This is going to facilitate seamless content sharing across Android devices. And there is a planned expansion to include Windows PCs. And it's, yeah, it's very similar to uh, AirDrop. And so you're just able to like file share and stuff like that across Wi-Fi. And this represents a significant step towards cross-platform connect connectivity, as we see with Samsung and Google both kind of uniting over this, and eventually we'll see Windows, hopefully, and it'll just keep on going. Yeah. Justin, do you want to talk about health monitoring gadgets? Yeah, so I'd love to talk about the health monitoring gadgets. So Certainty's fall detection system leverages radar technology and AI in their new health monitoring gadget. This new gadget from Serenity tracks GPS, plus it offers extended battery life and affordable tracking. Then the company Vivu introduced a new at-home test for urinary tract infections. These new gadgets emphasize a growing trend in both personal health technology and, ob and obviously how that then combines with the, what the consumer wants in their health gadget. Next, there's SkyTed's voice capturing mask. This is a new innovative mask to capture and contain the wearer's voice and aims to provide privacy in public settings as well as obviously have a good uh, microphone quality. 
It utilizes technology to minimize sound dispersion, and it reflects the growing need for privacy solutions and open environments and for a mask in which you can talk through. Then Dell has a new XPS laptop and monitor. Dell introduced their new XPS 13, 14, and 16 at CES, all with improved specifications. Firstly, the curved 40-inch IFK monitor offers a premium viewing experience, and then the laptops are then designed for high performance and portability to fit their name, the needs of their consumers. And all these monitors cater to both professional and, and gaming needs. Next, there's the Razer Blade 16 laptop, which will be competing likely with the new Dell laptops. And this laptop features a 16-inch, 200-hertz OLED display. Obviously, this is a great monitor uh, for those that are in the market for one. This targets the high-end gaming laptop market, and it combines performance with a high-quality display technology. And this enhances the game experience with a cutting-edge screen technology. So for those who like to game on laptops, this is what you want. And then next, there's Samsung has a few more products as well as LG and HP. So you guys want to talk more about that a little bit? Sure. So one of the biggest things that Samsung announced during CES is the f world's first transparent micro LED display. And for those who don't know, micro LED, in terms of how display panels work, typically you have one whole layer of all the pixels, millions of pixels in your screen. And this is for a TV. Most like desktop monitors will be pretty similar, but they'll just have this LED display. And that's what's powering the entire, that's how you see. But on most high quality TVs, you'll also see a layer of backlight and an HDR layer that will really, that's how you really get bright scenes. Like most smartphones now will take photos in HDR and they have these kind of HDR zones in the back of the TV to give you that extra brightness. So micro LED is kind of this, but in addition, it's another layer in addition to all of this. So they're really small pixels. They deliver much greater pixel density, which means you have much higher quality just a much higher quality display. So now you could see things even sharper, you could see better images, overall, just more, more quality. And basically now Samsung's maybe being, oh, and the big benefit of these is that these pixels are really small. So that's how Samsung is able to make something like a transparent micro LED screen, which is gonna offer clear visibility while maintaining high quality display content. And this is really a big breakthrough in display technology because there's so many applications that this can be used in, such as advertising, art, you have it in your own home. It's really, there's a lot of potential here, especially since you can now just see through your screen, your TV, and then turn it on as if it's not a see-through screen. So this is going to be really cool. They haven't announced any actual things yet for it, but I'd imagine in the coming few years, we'll see the stuff to be able to buy. It'll definitely be at a high price point to start off, but it'll be really cool to see that happen. Next up from Samsung, Samsung's now launching the Samsung Music Frame, which is basically a photo frame. It's also going to have some high quality speakers, supports Dolby Atmos for an immersive audio experience. We already, we've already been seeing Dolby Atmos on a lot of Samsung smart TVs. So this is a cool addition to that. And this blends in 
blends the technology of the frame with your own home decor so it doesn't look like it's standing out like most speakers would and it really just shows samsung's innovation in these kind of multi-purpose or kind of hybrid home devices that also act as a smart speaker and this kind of speaker this is very similar to the sonos products that they make in collaboration with ikea i know they have a lamp i know they have a like a speaker for the wall. So this is very similar to that, but it's Samsung's take on that. So John, you want to close off CES with some news from LG, HP, and Acer? Very glad to. So we have seen from LG, the world's first wireless transparent OLED TV. So Lucas and I, when we were first researching this, we were a little confused as to how a TV could be fully wireless. And so you do need, we do need to clarify there is one wire that's for the uh, power cord but other than that it's totally wireless so this provides a unique visual experience with a clear bright display and it's it brings like a futuristic element to home entertainment so lg is continuing to push the boundaries of tv technology we saw last year we saw them have that like rollable tv and they've always been super on the forefront of tv technology and next, I'm going to talk about HP and Acer's new laptops and monitors. So HP unveiled the lightest 14-inch gaming laptop and a new 4K OLED gaming monitor, as well as Acer revealed a 57-inch ultra-wide monitor, and they updated their laptops. So all of these products emphasize sort of lightweight design and high-resolution displays. And we see the uh, ongoing trend of innovation in personal computing kind of advancing through this. Our next topic in the tech world is the Galaxy S24 series. And Justin, do you want to talk to us a little bit more about like pricing and just a general overview of them? Yeah, so I'd love to. So the Galaxy S24 series, regarding that, Samsung had a big announcement as the S24 Plus and S24 Ultra will be released by Samsung. One of the big components is the AI features, which as Samsung introduced Galaxy AI as fast features that are really accessible on this made by Samsung. And this includes live translate, chat assist, note assist, and this all correlates to improved efficiency for the consumer. In terms of storing options, the S24, you can get at 128 or 256 gigabytes, S24 plus at 256 or 512 gigabytes, and the 24 Ultra, at 256, 512, or a whopping one terabyte. You could pre-order these phones, and then if you pre-order, you could you're free to upgrade to the next storage tier. And then to look through some notable enhancements of the phones, there's a new Qualcomm Snapdragon 8 Gen 3 chipset across the series. There's a larger screen size for the 24 and 24 Plus. The 24 Plus and the Ultra models feature QHD resolution. All models have adaptive refresh rates from 1 hertz to 120 hertz. And then the S24 Ultra will be have a lighter titanium frame with peak brightness of 200, 600 nits. And this also adds an upgraded night photography capabilities. So next, we're going to be now diving into each of these phones specifically and what they bring for the consumer. So next, I'm going to talk about the S24 Ultra, which is obviously the out of these three phones, this is the highest performance. So I'm going to dive into this one specifically. So for the build, there's a titanium frame which is for durability and the weight will be similar to the 23 ultra the display will be 6.8 inches 1440 pixels flat screen 
which is replacing their curved edges. For the camera, it's replacing the 10 megapixel with 10 zoom with a 50 megapixel and a 5 zoom. Then for the AI tools, there's a comprehensive AI capabilities, as we said earlier. But in addition, this phone has photo and video editing, frame rate adjustments for videos. Obviously, it has the translation as well, and then it has the note-taking. It has the processor, which is the Snapdragon 8 Gen 3, and then it can upgrade to Wi-Fi 7. And obviously, the pricing would be at 1300 and you get seven years of OS and security updates. So next, we're going to talk about the new Tesla Model 3 and the upgrades that are going to be on that car soon. So you want to start us off with that, John? Yeah, Justin. Yeah, Tesla's, it's not a totally new car, but it's just like the 2024 version of the Model 3. It's going to be its nickname Highland, and it has some of the exterior design changes on it are redesigned taillights that are fully integrated into the trunk lid, an aggressively diffused rear bumper, and a new base 18-inch wheels with updated wheel cover design. So two new paint colors have been introduced as well. These are Stealth Gray and Ultra Red. There's, so this car boasts improved aerodynamics, and the drag coefficient has been reduced from 0.225 to 0.19 making it the most aerodynamic car in Tesla's lineup. So some of the interior enhancements on this car are some sort of like changes in materials with the wood trim being replaced by a mixture of colors and textures. So there's also new wraparound ambient lighting and the front seats are now ventilated. There's new info and controls as well as the central touchscreen will remain However, with a slimmer bezel and increased responsiveness, the steering wheel is stockless, integrating controls with haptic feedback, and the transmission sec selector is now on the touchscreen. Backup, park, reverse, neutral, and drive buttons are located on the ceiling as well. There's also improved rear seating, as the rear seats have been raised for a more comfortable, comfortable seating position, and the backrest seat cushions are much firmer. There's also a new rear-facing screen for passengers, which is really nice and complete, makes it feel a lot more luxurious. There's also some ride and noise improvements. So the NVH, which stands for Noise, Vibration, and Harshness, has been reduced by about 20%, and the suspension system has been updated for a more refined role. Along with this, finally, there are improved driving dynamics, as it is similar to the previous model, but we've got slight improvements in comfort and serenity. Now, Lucas, you want to talk to us a little bit more about this? Sure. So, yeah, similar to what you said, there's a lot of design changes with the new Tesla Model 3. I really like the new red color. I think it's much more deeper red, and it just looks better than the previous red they'd have on it. In addition, there's a lot of safety improvements to this car. Like what you said, John, the front of it is now more aerodynamic which is why there's the range increase we also have much better side impact protection and blind spot indicators have been improved inside there's now going to be a touch screen for the passengers in the rear seats there's also going to be ventilated front seat and again tesla's always been like under fire for the quality control of the materials they use and they've been saying that the quality of the materials and build quality have significantly improved with this new model. And in terms of actually riding it, the car's handling and ride quality is very, is much improved compared to the earlier models. 
but rivals such as the BMW i4 and Pulsar 2 have been said to have much better driving experiences. In terms of the actual range, the tested model returns a range of about 345 miles and could efficiently use the convenient Tesla supercharger network. And then this new car is comes in two models, essentially. The model, the rear wheel model three is gonna have a 272 mile range. And the long range, the longer range model three is gonna have up to 345 miles. And then to close off, the rear wheel model starts at about $39,000, while the long-range dual-motor all-wheel drive model is available for about $46,000 in the U.S., and this is all before tax incentives, which will bring the price down significantly, but that also depends on your income and the state you're in. So is there anything else you guys want to add on before we move on to sports? No, I don't think so. I think this is a good time to start our sports section. So to start off with the NBA, obviously the trade deadline is approaching, and that deadline is Thursday, February 8th, and I believe that is around 3 p.m. it is. So as we're approaching that deadline, teams hope to trade players, obviously, that are going to want more money soon or want more money now or just aren't a good asset. So to start off with, Pascal Siakam was traded from the Raptors to the Pacers, Obviously, Bruce Brown was involved in that trade, and a few picks were, too. I believe three first-round picks in one second. The Ockham, whose contract is up at the end of this year, will likely want a max extension and be one of the highest paid in the NBA. It's good for the Raptors. It's a good move for both teams. The Raptors aren't going to have to pay him next year. They get some picks. Bruce Brown, who, who is going to likely be traded, they're in talks with the Lakers this week, so they're going to flip him. The Raptors don't have to pay him. The Pacers get an asset so Hall- with Halliburton and such. And they're really contenders this year. So it's a good trade for both. Next, the Knicks hope to then trade uh, Quinn Grimes and Evan Fournier. Move on from them. The only issue, though, is that a lot of Knicks fans are upset, including myself, as Quinn Grimes before was, quote, untouchable in the Donovan Mitchell trade. And now him and Evan Fournier, who, get, who don't really combine for more than, like, 10 minutes a game, are going to be traded for almost nothing. Like I said before, Bruce Brown will be traded after only like a two to three game stint with the Raptors. And then other players such as DeJounte Murray, Clarkson, Jeremy Granville, or others who will who are up for contract extensions next year and will likely be traded because of that. Next, there's fierce competition this season in the NBA as there's eight teams above 600 at the time of recording. The Embiid is leading the league with points at around 35.1. Halliburton is leaving, leading the league in assists with 12.7. Crazy. And then the NBA will continue their investigation into Josh Giddy. And then finally, a little bit of sad news from the NBA. Warriors to coach Dehan Mihaljevic passed away. So the Warriors will postpone two to three games because of that tragedy. To move on to college basketball, full conference play is now starting as the in-season tournaments are ending and such. So now uh, teams will just play those in their conference before the conference tournaments and then the tournament in March. Many teams, uh, top teams, have been losing with Luke, UConn, Purdue, Kansas, North Carolina, Duke all losing this week. And then right now there's no clear number one team. So we'll have to see. Next, moving on to NFL. Coaching is the biggest story with Bill Belichick, Rabel, Pete Carroll, and then Jim Harbaugh, who hired an NFL agent recently who may leave Michigan this year. They're all in the move searching for new coaching jobs. We're unsure, though, if Pete Carroll will continue coaching because he hasn't interviewed with any team and he still has a position with the Seahawks as an advisor, but it is likely. So Belichick has had, just at the time of recording, had a second interview with the Falcons. 
Harbaugh had his first, but it's looking like Belichick will likely go to the Falcons, which personally, I don't think that's the right move because I believe someone his age, he just wants, he's a win-now type guy. The Falcons are not a win-now team. They're the opposite. Like them and the Panthers, they're like the least win-now teams in the NFL or the least ready to win now. So I don't know how this move makes any sense for him, but we'll have to see. The Jim Harbaugh is going to go to the Chargers. I think that makes sense. Their scheme kind of fits his defensive scheme as well as a coach. So I think that will for him. Next, Cowboys, after the Cowboys suffered a huge defeat to the Packers and surprising one at home in the in the play, in the the play playoffs, Mike McCarthy will not have his contract extended, which he hoped for. And I'm sure he would have if he made it farther in the playoffs. So the Cowboys will assess after 2024. Commanders fired coach Ron Rivera. It's looking like he'll take a coordinator job somewhere in the NFL. And then the Raiders hire uh, interim coach Antonio Pierce after a five and four start as the interim head coach. All fans seem to like that move. That's good. And then the Patriots hired assistant coach Jared Mayo, who was actually a former player of the team. And now he's the youngest coach in the NFL, 38 years old. And then starting this week, there's the second round of playoffs with only eight teams remaining. To move on to college football, Michigan quarterback J.J. McCarthy declared for the NFL draft, which was expected, but some people thought he may have, he would have, he was going to stay in college. Personally, I think it's the right move win the NCAA championship. I don't think you have nothing else to do in college. I don't think his draft stock was getting any higher. He would only be getting older, so it's the right move. Hopefully, he could be a first, second round pick, maybe. When Ewers is staying in college, he'll definitely be a Heisman favorite for next year. For Texas, and meaning Arch Manning, will sit on the bench for one more year and only play one season until he goes to the draft. Maybe two, but likely one. The college football winter transfer portal closed, and it was crazy. All these top teams are tra- transferring quarterbacks in and out, spending so much money. Yeah, one thing Deion Sanders said that I thought was interesting was he was saying, just it's as a smaller school, it's just not feasible to be competitive in college football anymore. The college football playoff committee made it a 12-team to make playoffs more accessible to teams. Now they're spending millions of dollars in the transfer portal just to get quarter, just quarterbacks, receivers, running backs. It's crazy. Cam McCormick, who is now the he transferred from Oregon to Miami a few years ago, has now granted his ninth year of eligibility for the NCAA. And that has come after two COVID years, a lot of injuries in the first few years, and then additionally his fifth year eligibility. And next, Bill O'Brien becomes the OSU offensive coordinator. I think he'll do a good job there. He's very experienced. He's a great offensive coordinator, so I think he'll do a good job there. Then, after Washington lost in the final of the college football playoff to Michigan, uh, a few days later, Nick Saban retired from college football. He likely won't coach again as he's just going straight into retirement. So, Alabama decided to hire Washington coach Kalen DeBoe um, following the Nick Saban retirement. A lot of people are saying that this is a, not a great move for DeBoer, but obviously you have to think about that Alabama is the biggest coaching job in college football. Them, Texas A&M. OSU, Michigan, those are like the big five. To have the opportunity to coach at one of those schools, you can't really pass up. And Washington obviously isn't the biggest football school. While they're a great team, they're losing a lot of talent next year. Hopefully, this will be a good move for him. Then after a unsur- or a very surprising season at Arizona this year, after having losing seasons for the past like five years, they had a great season this year with quarterback Noah Fafita and great coaching led by Jet Fish. Uh, Jed Fish is going to replace Kalen DeBoer at Washington. And it looks like Noah Fafita, um, who is the standout quarterback, will likely transfer to Washington this spring um, and definitely be a Heisman candidate for next year. Then Alabama star safety Caleb Downs, who is uh, one of the best players in the country, had uh, transferred to OSU. Not necessarily surprising, as a lot of Bama players who we'll get to after this 
good at after Nick Saban retiring. So I think it should be a good move for him. And the number one quarterback in his class next year, Julian Sayan, has announced he's decommitted from Alabama and will likely transfer to Ohio State. Obviously, that class is the one with Grukemeyer. You have also Raiola. So it's a very heavy uh, quarterback class. So next, we're going to move on to MLB. So do you want to talk about that a little bit, Lucas? Thanks, Justin. So last week in MLB news, Josh Hader signed with the Astros, Houston Astros. Yankees are cutting Chase Jeter. And it's looking like Blake Snell is going to sign with the Yankees. Analysts are thinking that he'll probably make a decision this week at the soonest. And Matt Carpenter is re-signing with the Cardinals. And finally, Cody Bellinger is still in the free agency. He's the last major player. We're still waiting to see who he's going to sign with. Right now, the Blue Jays are favored for that. Over to you, John. Yeah, thank you, Lucas. In hockey, we see the Canucks and the Bruins are leading the league. They're tied. Kucherov leads the league in points. Austin Matthews is having a record season with 37 goals already. And the uh, Islanders just fired their coach, Lane Lambert, and announced Patrick Wise his replacement. Justin, do you want to talk to us about soccer? Yes, this is a big week for uh, all soccer fans out there as the January transfer window is heating up. And obviously... This summer, one of the biggest story was the Saudi Pro League and how all these players, Ronaldo, Henderson, just to name a few, who else? Ruben Neves, another one. But no, they were all leaving to go to Saudi Arabia and they get a lot of money and wages. For example, Henderson was making like 400000 a week in euros, which is way more than he should and way more than he would in Europe. Henderson's the first to leave Saudi Arabia after a short five-month stint. He signs with struggling Dutch side Ajax after their close to the relegation zone in the Eredivisie, and a lot of people are speculating that Benzema may leave soon, Neves to Taliska as well. I think this week was the Global Soccer Awards, not to be confused with the Ballon d'Or. The Ballon d'Or is run by the France Football Federation. This is more of a voting thing. So Holland won Best Men's Player, Natania Bonmati, Women's Player. Then Jose Mourinho was fired by AS Roma. Um, AS Roma replaced him with their assistant coach, and Mourinho is likely to coach somewhere else in Europe, hopefully soon, as he's the only person to win the Conference League, Europa League, and Champions League. Next, Ivan Toni is back this week. He actually scored his debut today after captaining, captaining Brentford, and as some people may remember, eight months ago, he was suspended for gambling 232 times on his own team. He led Brentford to a win today, a 3-2 win over Nottingham Forest. Next, Christian Pulisic won his fourth U.S. Soccer Male Player of the Year award. That ties Landon Donovan for the most in U.S. history. So finally for sports, we're going to talk about F1. So I guess the biggest F1 news this week is that Gunther Steiner was fired by the Haas F1 team. Haas F1 team CEO Gene Haas and founder that Gunther wasn't really experienced engineering wise and he didn't really have the vision he didn't have the right vision for the future obviously Gunther has led that team for eight years since the F1 team was created and he pitched it to owner Gene Haas to be created so he was a big part of that team so it's sad he's leaving but they replaced him with Ayao Komatsu who is the trackside engineer since the beginning and then Alpha Tauri is set to change their team name some are speculating that the team will be changed to the name Racing Bulls which should be very interesting. So that wraps up our sports news for the week. So Lucas, do you want to start closing it out? Sure.
Thank you for joining us on the Last Week Now podcast. To recap what we talked about this week, we first covered Wayfair's third layoff since the summer of 2020. Saudi Arabia almost doubling their estimate of value of mineral resources. Coldest weather in years, wiping the U.S. record. Talked about the Iowa primary with Trump, DeSantis, Haley, and Ramaswamy. The New Hampshire primary this Tuesday with the GOP, Democratic, and Independent ballots all in play this week. Alec Baldwin and his indictment for involuntary manslaughter. NATO is saying that they're preparing to go to war with Russia. Last week we talked about what we thought was going to happen at CES, and this week we talked about what did happen at CES. Then we talked about the Galaxy S24 series. After that we talked about the new redesigned and upgraded Tesla Model 3. And then finally we talked about the NBA, trade deadline, college basketball, the NFL, college football coaching situations, the transfer portal, MLB signings, NHL league leaders, the January transfer window in soccer, and then finally Formula One as well. We hope you have a great week and we hope to see you back next time for another episode. Thank you for joining us on Last Week Now, your go-to podcast for the latest insights into tech, business, world affairs, and sports. Before we conclude this episode, I'd like to remind our listeners of a few important points. First, the viewpoints expressed by our hosts and guests are diverse and meant to foster meaningful conversations. Last Week Now values the exchange of ideas and opinions, aiming to present a range of perspectives on issues on the issues discussed. It's essential to recognize that these viewpoints are personal and do not necessarily reflect the stance of the podcast or its affiliated entities. Additionally, we want to emphasize that the information shared here is based on publicly available sources up to the date of recording, January 20th, 2024. The dynamic nature of news means that developments may occur after a recording, potentially affecting the accuracy of certain details. We encourage our audience to stay informed by independently verifying crucial information especially in rapidly evolving situations. As consumers of news, your engagement is crucial. Your critical thinking and fact-checking will contribute to a more informed public discourse. We appreciate your commitment to staying well-informed and encourage you to reach out with any feedback or corrections. Once again, thank you for being part of the Last Week Now community, and we look forward to sharing more with you in the next episode.